0: Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. Welcome to the second part of a two-parter on what does effective compliance and ethics training for your board of directors look like. We covered... Two subtopics last time, and I have two others that I want to get to today. But before I start, as always, I have a few housekeeping matters I'd like to take care of. First and foremost, as always, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to our podcast. And thank you for those of you who correspond with us and give us feedback and ask us questions and want to know more. Uh, it's the most gratifying part of doing this is, is finding out that people actually enjoy it and find some value in it. So feel free to reach out if you've got any questions, comments, suggestions for future topics or, or for future guests. The other piece of business, as I mentioned in the last podcast, we have an upcoming webinar that we will be putting on on October the 4th, which is a Wednesday at noon central time, which is 1 p.m. Eastern on October the 4th. And the topic for this webinar will be the new guidance and best practices for code of conduct development. I'm going to talk about the 2017 guidance from the department and how that might impact your code of conduct development process. What some best practices are that are that have developed and are still developing around code of conduct development, and what are some criteria for evaluating your current code of conduct or getting some ideas about what you might need to do in updating or revising that document. So please join us October 4th for that. If you want more details, they'll either be in the show notes here once we get it set up on our website, or you can check out our website, and there'll be a sign-up page there to join in on the fun on October the 4th. So... Last time we talked a bit about the sort of legal background and responsibilities of the board and how to educate the board about their responsibilities for compliance and ethics. And we talked a little bit about knowing your own program if you're a member of a board of directors and how important that is and some different aspects of the program that ought to be part of training for the board from staff. And today I want to talk about a couple other items. The third leg, if you will, of I always used to talk about three legs, and the three legs were understanding role and responsibility, understanding the program itself. And then we talked about those two. And then the third one I always talked about, which I want to talk about now, is understanding the specific risks. There's a fourth one, which I'm added. So now I've, I've cobbled cobbled on a fourth leg, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. But first, I want to talk a little bit about risks. When training your board of directors about risks, I think that there are kind of two flavors that have developed over time, two different categories, if you will. One is a category that's sort of board-centric, if you will, and the other is a broader training on risk topics that are relevant to the organization. So, let's take the board centric ones first. What, what this usually boiled down to was some sort of training or discussion around conflicts of interest, insider trading, risk topics that, for whatever reason, the compliance or legal personnel of the organization felt were more pertinent, if you will, to the board of directors. I don't think there's any problem with that. I think it's a good idea to educate the board members about conflicts and and other issues that they might themselves be more apt to trip over. But I don't think that should be the end of the game. I don't think that you should focus only on compliance topics that are of of interest to the board members based on their role and their specific role and responsibility or or status in the organization. So while conflicts and insider trading are important topics, I, I wouldn't take up so much oxygen in your training of your board members that you don't have time to talk about more prudent risks that are, that, are, that are more dangerous to, to, your, to your organization overall. Because again, leaning on what we talked about in part one, they need to understand what is going on in the organization. They need to be involved. They need to be engaged. They need to be asking questions that are going to be relevant to the to operating the compliance program and in developing it into an effective mature compliance program and they can't do that if they don't have a firm basis of, of understanding uh, uh, around the risks that are most critical to your organization so while i th- again and then i'll uh, i'll stop beating this dead horse while i think it's important to still talk about conflicts and insider trading and some of these other arguably board-centric training efforts, don't allow that to dominate all of the discussion and training around risk topics. Because if you do, you miss out on some important pieces. Now, when you're talking about specific risks, there's a good reason to think that the guidance, in particularly the February guidance from the Department of Justice, is pointing us to the importance of of them being educated around specific risks or what is described in the checklist that's not a checklist from February of 2017, manifested risks. So what are those? Those are things that have actually happened within your organization already. Those are things that you know you're facing because you faced them before. I think other categories that you want to consider here are risks that are facing other peer organizations. Obviously, if a competitor organization has stepped into the mud, then you can perhaps avoid that. And and the board, as as with everybody else of consequence in the organization, should be apprised of that risk and understand it and know how to deal with it. Another area to consider is risks that may be on the horizon that maybe aren't with maybe haven't occurred or, or caused an issue with your direct peer organizations, but maybe in other, other industries. A perfect example here, I think, is privacy issues I think arguably be addressed much more significantly. I think it's more than arguable, actually, more significantly by the healthcare industry for many, many years now because they've had specific requirements around privacy. And then many other organizations that perhaps weren't in a highly regulated, regulated space are now coming to the table recognizing that they have significant privacy risk, particularly if they're operating an international organization or have any kind of contact with personal information of people in Europe or other jurisdictions. So I think that's an example of kind of looking over the horizon at risks that maybe your industry isn't facing yet, but could be important compliance risks to train your board on and have them educated on. Some common risk issues that, you know, if you're just going to take the aggregate across all industries that boards are being educated on pretty regularly now Include privacy, include data security. I think that's probably the hottest issue, if you will, that we've seen the most discussion about in the last 18 months or so. General discussion about reputation risk and all the different things that flow into that. Anti-corruption, anti-corruption is not going away and that's still being discussed at the board level on a regular basis. Those are common ones, but your mileage may vary. Every organization is different. And as I do whenever I talk about Risk. I'm not going to be too specific other than that short laundry list because every organization faces different risks. And I certainly would not be outside the, the realm of possibility for the board to get some regular update and some training on, for instance, harassment. Because harassment, as we all know, if you look at the statistics, is still one of the number one issues of misconduct that comes out of nearly every organization. You have more than two people you have potentially issues there. So when deciding what your enterprise risks are, be making a similar list for how you're going to communicate those enterprise risks to your board. How are they going to be trained on those risks? And make sure that there's enough airtime there for that, those topics to be discussed along with everything else. So the last thing I'll mention about this risk training, compliance risk-specific topic training, if you will, the question would be, well, how do we determine what we train on? Well, one thing, as I said, is if you have an ongoing ERM process, an enterprise risk process, or some other risk assessment that has happened where you have defined those top-tier risks those compliance top-tier compliance risks for your organization, then I would work off of that list as the list of topics that you want to be training at the highest levels of the organization. The other thing you can do is benchmark. Again, we talked about looking at what peer organizations are doing, what issues they've had. But also, uh, there's some data out there that you can find around what they're training on. Also, take a look at what, you know, you've developed a training curriculum inside your organization, presumably. Look at the how you came to that list that you're training everybody on. If it's significant enough that you want to train all hands on a particular topic, then you need to look into the decision making there and and determine how that topic was determined to be so so important. And if it's so important that everybody's getting trained on it, perhaps if it's not a topic that's being regularly trained on and discussed at the board level than it needs to be. You know, there's several ways inwardly and outwardly you can look to try to determine what kind of laundry list, if you will, of risk topics you would discuss with the board. That ends the sort of traditional three legs that I used to talk about for years. And and then I've added a fourth leg, if you will, that I think is important. And it kind of informs all of the other topics. It, inf- it informs the board's understanding of the importance of your program and learning about your program and informs their understanding about what their responsibilities are and why it's so, so important that the board be involved and what the relationship between the board and the personnel of the organization that are responsible for compliance ought to be. And then lastly, it also informs risk and properly addressing risk and the importance of compliance in an organization. And so that last topic is making the business case, providing them the business case for compliance, for caring about culture, for caring about having a mature and robust and effective program. I think this serves a couple of purposes. Number one, it's, it's a little bit of a sales job at the board level so that they understand the importance, the, the integral importance of the, of the compliance program and properly resourcing the compliance program. But also, it gives them ammunition when they are communicating because one of the things i mentioned kind of briefly in the last episode and, and it and it's come up before and we might you know expand out on this topic and talk about it later is this notion that the board has some responsibility for the culture of the organization as well and so if they're going to be out there promoting the culture then they need some ammunition just like anybody else so the last topic i want to talk about of the four that ought to be on your broad list of of training is is providing a little bit of the business case for compliance to the board of directors. Now what would that look like? I think first and foremost you'll talk about the effect on the bottom line. There's lots of data out there and I have other podcasts on this if you want to check them out and I probably will expound expand on it more in the future, but there's there's plenty of data out there that shows a correlation between having a strong ethical culture, a robust compliance program, and success in business. Ethisphere and other organizations have investigated this in the past. The Corporate Executive Board, CEB, has had a study a few years back on this. There is correlation there. And there's certainly correlation between having a strong ethical culture and a strong compliance program and reduced incidence of misconduct. That is a well-documented correlation from both the Ethics and Compliance Initiatives Global Business Ethics Survey and their former National Business Ethics Survey going many years back. So that, those correlations exist in the data between performance and reduction of misconduct and having a successful and well-resourced program. Another issue that is right on the front of in the front of mind of most directors these days is reputation. And talking to them about how compliance and re- properly resourcing compliance working on an ethical culture is a bulwark against the potential of a serious reputational issue. Culture issues quickly, you know, can ramp up and become issues that affect performance. We all see this in modern business these days. You don't have to look very far, you know, just going a few months back to the the disaster that United Airlines had around the incident with one flyer and how that impacted their reputation and their bottom line to the tune, I think initially of a billion dollars or so in in market capitalization. I think they've recovered, but still That was a whole scenario that they didn't need to go through. That was a culture issue to a great extent. I think anybody who's examined it would agree. But there are obviously other failures, other compliance issues, whether it's Wells Fargo or or many others, where where reputation drags down the organization. And there is a definite, clear, bottom-line impact to reputation concerns. And so, show, you know, showing them and talking to the, to the board about how a successful compliance program, a successful effort to work on ethical culture can affect and, and buoy the reputation of the organization. Even when things happen, the responses will, will presumably be better responses if you have an ethical culture in place and a compliance program supporting that. I think the other thing that, you know, should be mentioned here too is that both compliance structure, a structured and mature compliance program, as well as work on an ethical culture can have impacts that you may not see right away. You're building towards the future here, as you are with a lot of other initiatives. It's similar in that respect. And so I think that you need to obviously make sure that the board is aware that this, this is a long term project. When you're working on culture in particular, it's a long-term project and that there's not going to be any easy fix one way or the other, but consistent and constant investment in this and putting resources towards this and being educated about it at all levels of the organization start to put you in a better position as you're moving forward and trying to make improvements, not only with the compliance program, but but overall improve the organization. The other thing which uh, provided data on this in the past, and I'm not going to go into the data here, again, to try to keep this short and sweet, but just to put this in your in your mind so that when you're working on your list, these are things you can consider. There's data out there that can provide an argument that compliance and ethics is a recruitment and retention issue. There's a survey of MBA grads that happened a few years back now this is a joint survey by Stanford and UC Santa Barbara. If you want to look that up on the internet, if you can't find it, I mean, as with any of this data, if you ever have a question, please feel free to re- reach out to me and I can provide it. But it's, it's something that I've talked about before and other, other speakers on this topic have talked about before, how MBA grads were willing to take significantly less pay if they were working for an organization that was perceived to have a more ethical culture. That's, you know, just one data point, but it's something that you can find other statistics on. There's a lot of data out there about particularly millennial workers viewing a perceived ethical culture as an important factor in their decision making around recruitment, around retention, around whether they're going to stay longer than two years or three years. So when you're trying to recruit and keep really valuable talent, having an effective ethics and compliance program is an important piece of the puzzle. I mentioned ECI recently or a few minutes ago as well. They also have data on this around employees who observe misconduct and employees who observe misconduct and feel like they've been retaliated against and how long they stay in an organization versus those who don't. This is completely logical. So I'm of course there's no surprise that the the difference between those two populations is vast. So there there's there's some data that you can provide that will support the notion that this is an, an issue that affects the bottom line, affects recruitment, affects retention. ECI also had some great data a few years back when they were looking at retaliation at the manager level. So you're more senior people. A pretty large, pretty sizable percentage of managers had experienced uh, retaliation. And that seemed to also, again, have an impact on retention. You know, again if you can provide a little bit of hard data and there's other data out there besides, besides the stuff I'm talking about right now to kind of show the impact of, of issues like retaliation and other culture issues on employee retention, employee satisfaction, that's a real bottom line issue. You know, getting and retaining quality staff these days is, is no laughing matter. And I think that's something that will speak to the board of directors and again, give them ammunition when they're, trying to drill down and push down these messages throughout the organization themselves. Another very practical thing to to talk to them about is, and again, this is all data out of ECI and other, other surveys, is the fact that uh, when the percentage of people that are reporting misconduct goes way up in organizations where people perceive a strong culture, no surprise there, they feel supported. So you're more likely to find out about the very bad thing much sooner than you would otherwise, and certainly, hopefully, before the government finds out about it or, or outside stakeholders find out about it, if you have a strong culture. There's, there's, again, a lot of data around this. Making the business case doesn't necessarily have to be only a data-driven process, though. The other thing that is helpful here is to, to use current events. Again, I mentioned just a couple here a, a few minutes back, but you know, ripping, you know, ripped from the headlines discussions around failures of culture, failures of compliance are still as compelling as compelling as good data or positive data. I think in the old days when we would put together a a presentation or or speak on this topic. We only talk about the negative things. We only talked about all the other companies that got in trouble and how many millions of dollars they paid and how many tens of years their executives went to prison. I don't think you can eliminate that completely, and I think that's an important topic. But I, I try to minimize it as much as possible because I think you can make the more positive case. The more bo- you know, how the uh, an effective program can Im- impact positively the bottom line. You know, and increase. Employee retention, for example. I think that that's a direction that you mostly want to go, but you can't eliminate current events completely. You know, break all of these down. You know, for example, with Wells Fargo, again, one that I've used quite a bit and talked about on here, and I think is still a great teaching lesson. You can talk about how, you know, even in a sophisticated organization with sophisticated controls, You may not be able to perceive unsophisticated misconduct. I mean, this was just; these were very straightforward forgeries and basic frauds that went on. Incentives matter. That was another one that came out of Wells Fargo. It was really clear, and it's easy to have a disconnect from the top of the organization to the bottom. So, again, you take one of these examples and you kind of break it down. You have like three or four bullet points of sort of lessons learned from that topic, and and that can be that can be really helpful when you're trying to make the business case. To those board members. So you can't completely take out those scenarios, but I think the better way, rather than just talk about how many millions of dollars they were fined and how many people went to jail and how long they went to jail, those statistics aren't as, I think, helpful as kind of doing a breakdown of of what happened and what went wrong. And, and, and kind of do some Monday morning quarterbacking on that. I think that that's more va- a more valuable discussion. What went wrong? What did they do wrong? What are some ways that maybe they could have avoided it? That's probably a more fruitful discussion than just talking about you know who got punished. So that's the second piece, is, is making, making that what I call business case. And, and that, I think, is a very helpful fourth leg of the stool. So now we have a four-legged stool instead of a three-legged stool. It's probably more stable with a fourth leg. If you are interested in our webinars, if you haven't participated in the past, we've done a couple in the spring and we're going to do a couple this fall, time permitting, but the first one is going to be scheduled for October the 4th on Code of Conduct. Please join us. It's going to be at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can sign up on our website. That's www.moreheadconsulting.com. You can find us also at www.compliancebeat.com. For those of you who haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe to this podcast. For those of you who haven't reviewed this podcast and have the time to do that on iTunes, please review this podcast. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, as always, we're here. We really want to hear from you. And thanks again. The upshot this time is when you're training your board of directors on your compliance and ethics program, two important aspects to keep in mind include making the business case for compliance at your organization as well as discussing the specific risks that your organization faces. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Morehead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com.